We all have our reasons why we play pickleball, and author Larry Blendred is no different. However, he takes the sport a step further by writing books about pickleball to salute both the community and his late wife. Let's get to the intro so you can hear from Larry and learn about the critters in his book. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, Larry Blendred. How are you doing today, Larry? I'm doing great. Thank you, Lynn. Well, when I start out with the podcast, I do always like to ask a little bit about your pickleball background in terms of how you got started and how long ago that was. It was about four years ago this March. I was visiting a close college friend in St. Louis, and we went to the Jewish Recreation Center and walked. And below on tennis courts and basketball were these strange noises, dink, donk, pop. And I looked down and I had no idea what they were doing. But before I left, I asked the front desk what it was because my friend didn't know. And then I got home and started researching it and it looked fun. And so I found out from the Cincinnati Pickleball Club website where they play and there was one near my home. And I decided to just wander over there, which was the local recreation center indoors. I just walked in, didn't have a paddle, had my gym shoes on. And a lady by the name of April, she's moved to the other side of Cincinnati now, but she just made me feel welcome. Said, hey, use my, I got an extra paddle. Just come on out and, and we'll play. And so I started playing and loving it. And it's become a part of my life. It, it strategically at that time, and I make reference to this in the dedication of my first pickleball children, which is dedicated to my wife. During that time, her health was starting to decline. She had come down with a brain bleed and brain tumor in June of 2012. And uh, after one surgery, it just seemed like she was doing great. But with a, a level four glioblastoma, they always told me it would come back. And unfortunately, it came back twice. And it was about this time that it came back and it was just too tough. So uh, pickleball became a friend generically and the community that I, I was embraced by was a tremendous emotional support group to me. When my wife passed, they asked me for some of her sweaters and, and blouses. I thought, what, what in the world are you doing? My daughter knew they made four pillows, uh, one for each of my three children and one for me in Donna's memory. So I continue to play. I, I do play competitively now in tournaments. It's not some crazy, all-consuming passion. I love the recreational part of it. It keeps me healthy. It keeps me alert. It, it, it enhances my dexterity. But most importantly, it's the community that I salute in my writings. Pickleball is such a wonderful 
avenue for many of those things that you talk about. I want to go back a little bit towards your writing. Were you a writer before you did the children's book? I was. I wrote two serious-minded books, if you will. One was called Staying Resilient When Life Throws You More Than a Curveball. In our case, the curveball was a brain tumor for my wife. I just had a leading and prompting from many friends. One lady who I'd met was a pastor at a church we, we attended, and her husband had died of a glio, and she wrote a kind of a memorial to him, picking up the notes that she had written. And uh, many people just prompted me to say, I'm going to write a book about this. It's maybe I can help some other people who have different types of curveballs. doesn't have to be a brain tumor. And then the second book, I got excited about the response and it was fun to write it. It was therapeutic while my wife was struggling. We worked on it together. She helped edit the book with me. It became a project. She became kind of a salesperson to the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. She'd be out there telling people about her story in the book. It did really well on Amazon and the local community. And then I started studying the word thriver. And a title came to my mind, Are You a Survivor or Thriver? And so I really reflected on Donna and her attributes of thriving. And the second book dealt with that. What are the six attributes of a thriver? Two years passed after that. And I had both books at a conference author session at a library in Northern Kentucky And there was a separate section there, Lynn. It it was children's book. And 99% of the authors there at the tables were women. Women write most of the children's books. But it actually intrigued me, Lynn. I I just walked around and talked to the ladies and one man, I think, or one or two. And I started just accumulating children's books. I looked at the ones that we'd given to our kids and the ones that our kids are now getting for their kids. and. To make a long story short, I said, you know, I think I can write a children's book involving pickleball. And I just started thinking about it, praying about it, and just say, okay, guide me here. And what came up was our first grandson, Ollie. And Ollie rides with Otter. And then my youngest boy is named Robbie. And so Robbie became Robbie the raccoon. And Wally, who's my oldest son and daughter-in-law's dog up in Columbus, his name is Wally. So Wally became the Wallaby. And then my mother's name, she passed last year. Uh, Her name was Pauline. So I nicknamed it Pauly the Penguin. So those are the four critters that are a part of book one. Each has a different story because they're in in it. I tried to depict each being in a real life situation today. Ollie had lost his parents. I don't bring it up in the book and say, well, they were killed by a predator. I just position him as being alone and lost. And he finds other otter family members that embrace him. I won't go over each one, but Lana the or excuse me, Wally the wallaby lost his mother. And so another wallaby mother, and this is in Australia because each critter is all throughout the world. And another mother adopts Wally. So we, we have a, a young critter who 
you know, has lost his parents. One of the other critters is raised by his grandmother. And, and these are realities today. So, but each one is revived and inspired and finds new identity and encouragement and community when they're brought into the pickleball community in their respective countries. Traverse City, in the case of Ollie, the forests of Northern California with Robbie. So they all meet, of course. It's not of course, but that's how I laid it out. They are invited and decide with their parents' approval or significant others in their life. They go to Cincinnati, of course, that's where I'm from, and they meet at a pickleball tournament. And um, they become friends and stay friends through what? Social media. So in one of the pictures, I have them, A, doing a selfie, and then B, in the second book, keeping in touch via a Zoom at the very back. And even young kids are going to understand that. I have to admit that is very cute and a lot of the a lot of fun with the names. But, you know, what was challenging about going from writing some very serious adult books, adult topics to doing something like that kid's book? It was a lot. It was very challenging. It was harder, Lynn, than the other two. Throughout my life and career, college, it's been serious stuff. Background in marketing and finance and investing. And so the first two books were kind of serious. On certain occasions, try to make them light. But the hardest thing was to try to write for somebody so young. And so I had some really good helpers, teachers, an editor friend who was a client of mine when I was a financial advisor. And they really kind of dumbed it down for me. Instead of 18 words in a sentence, maybe there was a maximum of eight. And instead of big words, cut them down to little words. It was hard to, to do that. But, you know, it worked out. And I'm in no way, this isn't about me. This is about my commitment to helping others just persevere in life and find community in an amazing sport that I that has blessed my life. And so, yeah, it was tough. It was probably one of the toughest things I ever did in my life. And coordinating the illustrations, you know, I'd never done that before. Uh, I did find a great illustrator. We can go into that later if you want. It was a unique circumstance. But pulling that all together was a challenge. The second book was a lot easier because I did it the first time. And uh, But yeah, it was not easy. All right. So I had a lot of people tell me, my kids told me I'm crazy. They thought, "You, you can't do that. You wouldn't. So I had to overcome a lot of people thinking I was nuts. But that, I guess, intrigued me a little more to persevere. All right. So just to be clear... What are the names of the children's book or books that you've written, and what is the age group? The age group, well, the, first, the names of the book are How, How Pickleball Saves Ollie Otter. The second book is called Ollie and His Pickleball Friends Return Home. And the age group, and I've learned this as I've gotten responses from people that have read the book, friends, family members. While a three-year-old may be able to pick up a few words, that's a situation where the parents are usually reading it to them. And yet I've heard and I have pictures of 12 years old that are getting a positive message from it and they're reading it themselves. So from a grammatical standpoint, 
the words selected, you might say three to seven, but it's gone beyond that in terms of books being purchased for other grandchildren, which is really the the target market that I think has evolved here is what grandparent doesn't want to do something for their grandchild. And if they happen to like pickleball, they're spreading the pickleball gospel to the younger generation. And so that's been the fun part of it. So why did you decide to write the second book? It sounds like you're almost creating a series. I am, and I'm actually crafting in my mind book three. There was about a year between book one and book two. And what inspired book two started in St. Petersburg two years ago, February, when I was in a pickleball tournament. And I saw a man, I kicked myself for not getting his name, but he was playing with one leg. Or excuse me, he had a prosthetic leg and then a normal leg. He was in the military. And we just marveled at his. I got called away to my tournament match. And by the time we all finished, he had gone. But I took a picture of him. And then about the same time, through some networking and just things that happened in my life, I started mentoring a young man who had eight, who has ADHD and his brother. And I make reference to their names in the, in the uh, book. I don't think it's appropriate now to mention their names here, but he was born with no legs, but is excels at tennis and at basketball competitively. And I asked him one day, I said, you want to play some pickleball? And he went out with me. We practiced about an hour and then some friends showed up at the nearby park outside where we play a lot. And I said to them, hey, guys, will you mind if Matthias and I just have a little recreational game with you right now? Well, guess what? Some of the guys were recording it because he was making shots that I wouldn't have been able to lobbing the ball over. He's just an incredible athlete. And here's a young man with no legs, losing a wheelchair. I discovered at this time period, I didn't know it at the time, that my illustrator, Gabe, has ADHD. So each of the critters in the second book that are, if you will, brought into the pickleball fold by the original four in book one are nurtured, are encouraged to play. So Sammy the Sloth is Matthias in the second book. He's discovered by Wally in a jungle gym. He's effortlessly using his hands, crossing the bars. And Wally approaches him and said, hey, you look pretty strong. Why don't you come and join me? We're going to play some pickleball today. And he said, well, I can't. And he points to the wheelchair. But he ends up playing pickleball. He ends up figuring out how to play pickleball and ultimately recruits more wheelchair players to play. So that was, I guess you'd say, the the driving force of book two, the realization that pickleball is for everybody, including those with some form of defect, disability, or personal or physical challenge. You mentioned your illustrator, Gabe, a couple times. How did you two initially get connected? Well, that's probably the most unique thing here, because if it weren't for Gabe, I don't think I'd be talking to you. But it's connected 
to my wife. Two years ago, March 1st, before COVID hit, we went down. I thought it would be good for both of us, especially for her, to go to Florida. So we spent some time at St. Pete Beach. I've got cousins down. She ended up having to be in a wheelchair down there during our time. And she just got worse. And I, I said, Donna, we got to come home. I could, I, we drove down and that was a challenge. I knew we couldn't drive back. So my daughter, my, my kids were down there and my daughter elected to stay, flew home, got down home. Christine drove my car to Nashville where she lives. She had flown down there. So ultimately I had to get my car in Nashville. So I flew through Atlanta and from Atlanta to Nashville, met Gabe, sat next to him on the plane pack plane before COVID. And he starts working on some stuff on his computer, laptop right next to me. I didn't have an illustrator at the time. Uh, My publisher was getting negatives because nobody understood pickleball and nobody thought illustrating pickleball would be worthy of anything or there was no interest. But Gabe and his dad played pickleball in his backyard. His dad built a pickleball court in Brentwood, Tennessee, near Nashville. So we get to talking, and I said, Gabe, I'd just like to have your phone number. Can I call you and and just talk to you about this? And that's how he became an illustrator. And you you can see his maturation and the way he illustrates in, in the second book. He really grew up, and having a book in your hand to go to the college he wanted to go to and help with the scholarship, I did this. So we both helped each other. I did pay him, of course. I didn't expect anything free. He didn't want as much as I was willing to pay him or wanted to, but I became friends with the father, went down there. My daughter's in Nashville. We played pickleball together. So it was a God thing, to be totally honest. I mean, I couldn't have created that scenario or set of circumstances to enable that to happen. That is a great story. I just love the connection to pickleball and all the serendipity about that. So tell me, what's in your future? Well, I'm going to Bainbridge Island this fall. I uh, planned this because in my mind, and everybody listening here, okay, this is my idea. I haven't patented this one or copyrighted it yet, but it's on my mind, is to have Ollie go to Bainbridge to discover where it all happened. He meets some of the critters that were there watching back in 1965 when the founders were building the first pickleball court and playing the first pickleball and remembering when the dog pickle ran away with the ball and they recount some of these memories to Ollie and there's beauty in Bainbridge Island. And uh, I'm trying through some friends and networking to find some of the family members that are still living, uh, not the founders, but maybe grandsons and children, that they could talk to me about what they remember. I haven't had any success reaching and or getting them to respond. Maybe that's just not something they're comfortable with, and that's fine. But that's how I'm leaning towards book three, is um, just a, a return to where it all began. And of course, Ollie, who's the lead character, being the one to engage and have that impact on him and and engaging with other critters that recall what they saw, which is possible. I mean, some critters live a long time. 
1965, and I don't think kids are going to do a bunch of math and say, well, he wouldn't have lived that long, but who knows? This is just an idea, just like the other two were ideas. So I'm going to Bainbridge as Ollie in October, uh, excuse me, in September, and spent about a week there. I've met a, a very amazing man, Jack Olmstead, who has led a procession, if you will, of enthusiasm for pickleball being the sport of the state of Washington. And he has just been such a friend to me, introduced me to you, and has just encouraged me. He got Ollie into a poster that's in the libraries in the state of Washington as a part of the visual to promote that it's the official sport. So I'm thankful to so many people along the way who just made a lot of things happen that I could have never made happen on my own. Yes. I'm with you. I, I love Jack. I've known him for, I guess, probably uh, a year and a half-ish now. And he's a great connector. And he's brought some wonderful people to my attention, like you, Larry, to be guests on the Pickleball Fire podcast. So I guess I should ask, although it's probably fairly evident, if somebody wants to buy one of your children's books, where's the best place? They can go to Amazon for book one. Book two got delayed because it's out. Because of, believe it or not, paper shortages. Might as well be shortages on everything, including paper for books. But I, three or four weeks ago, got my supply here. I'm holding back on Amazon with book. So the best way, if you want to get the book, and right now I have a special on the website, buy five, get one free. You go to www, it's real simple, www.pickleball-forever.com. And you'll see... Background on the books, just things I just shared with you, not in, at the level of detail, and a link to buy the books. And then me or my publisher or my publicist fulfill the orders. And I personally sign every book that I send. Great. And if somebody wants to get in touch with you, should they use the contact form on your website or do you have an email you want to provide? I'll give you the email. It's real simple. It's my name, Larry. And then the middle initial R is in Robert. And then my last name, Blundred, B-L-U-N-D-R-E-D, Blundred, just like 100, Larry R. Blundred at gmail.com. And you can also call me. I have no problem with that unless you cut me off, Lynn, and say, we don't do this. If you cut me off, I won't give you give my phone number. I don't care. Oh, I, love hear, I love hearing <laughs> from people. It's 513-240-7915. I love talking to people about pickleball. I've met so many neat people, including pickleballers in Edinburgh, Scotland, where my wife and I went. And this was shortly after I it was introduced to pickleball. And that community there embraced me. They actually picked me up at the hotel and returned me there after we played pickleball in Edinburgh. Uh, served me hot tea and scones at halftime of their pickleball contest. And it was just awesome. Wherever the world is, there's pickleball. And it's just an amazing sport. Amazing people. All right. Well, thank you so much for all of that, Larry. I really enjoyed talking to you. You've got some incredible children's books. And I will be looking forward to the Bainbridge Island third one. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 